We're in our second week of a series called When in Rome. And uh, you'll understand as I, as I go through what, the, what that means. But it's interesting to me how quickly and how easily and how prone we are to make excuses. You, you, you with me? It's like it happens everywhere. It seems like it's second nature to us as humans. You know, the, the classic is uh, we're back to school right away, right? That's coming up next week. The classic, you know, you're in school and uh, you don't get your assignment in on time. And your first reaction is not, like typically a student would say, well, actually, I was a little bit undisciplined. I played too many video games. I didn't allow much, enough time to get my, my homework done. And, but no, we, we make excuses. We, we come up with, well, I had three other assignments due this week, which they knew about for two months, and, and but I didn't get it done. Or, or how about the, the classic, you know, the, my dog ate my textbook? You know, it's, you guys heard it. So that, that's as a, as a student. Maybe it's in sports. Anybody else here competitive? Um, we, we used to play board games in our family, and Debbie would still love to, but um, yeah, I'm a little bit too competitive sometimes. So I was like, but you know, you're playing, but maybe you're playing sports and, and you're out there and, and you miss a shot and, and your reaction is, well, well, no, the, the, the sun got in my eyes or, or something like that. Or, or, hey, they fouled me. Foul, foul. We cry foul. And uh, so we miss that. Or maybe it's in your job, you know, you're, you're, you're in your commute and you show up to work late and you say, well, there was traffic. Yeah, there was traffic. There's always traffic. The fact that you left five minutes before you had to be there didn't factor in, but it was the traffic. You know, maybe you get the classic red and blue flashing in the back window. Yes. Sorry, officer, I didn't realize I was in a work zone. Yeah, how do you miss a work zone in Nova Scotia? Because face it, we're always, there's two seasons, winter and work zone. I was just rolling with traffic. In leadership, there's a, there's a saying, you know, in leadership circles. I don't actually know who said it, so I'll just say there was a saying. <laughs> you can either make excuses or you can make progress, but you can't make both. You choose. You can either make excuses or you can make project or progress. <laughs> it's so easy to do that. We tend to blame someone. Or we compare because we can usually find someone who's a, a worse, worse off than we are, right? Someone like they're, they're, they're either later, they're, they're not as good at, like we can find someone. We, we, can, we, we kind of resist taking responsibility. We resist owning up to it. We want it to be someone else's fault, please, anybody else's. And we compare and we think, well, we're not as bad as they are, right? Whoever they are. As I said, we're in week two of our series, When in Rome. When in Rome, the saying is completed, you know, do as the Romans do. It's a very, very common saying. And I, last week, I, I left you with these thoughts because I, I redeemed this thought of when in Rome. And instead of saying, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, let's, when in Rome, consider what Paul would do or consider what Paul would ask us to do from the book of Romans. So last week, I said, when in Rome or when in Halifax, you are dearly loved and called. You are dearly loved and called. Secondly, when in Rome, remember the power of encouragement in community. The idea of when in Halifax, remember the power of encouragement in community because it is incredibly powerful. And when in Rome, the third one was remember that the gospel is the ultimate solution. The, the power of God unto salvation Right? When in, when in the city that we live in with all of its quirks and blessings and 
things that go with it. Remember, the gospel is the ultimate, the ultimate solution. So I laid a bit of a foundation describing the culture of Rome at the beginning of the first century when, when Paul wrote this letter of the Romans to the New Testament church. And as advanced as Rome was, and Rome was an inc incredibly advanced city in the first century, it was a city full of every kind of excess and immorality that you can imagine. And some things I hope you can't imagine, okay? It was, it was debauchery. It was, it was over the top. And it was in this less than ideal environment that the early church saw its beginning in Rome. Likely from uh, Jews that had been converted to Christianity in Jerusalem during Pentecost. And they'd come back to Rome and they had, they had established the church. So when in Rome, do as the Romans do was an excuse to indulge in the crude passions of the sinful nature. And we see that so many times in so many ways. There was two main groups that Paul was writing to. Okay, new material here. Two main, two main groups that he was writing to. There were the Jewish Christians, as I said, the, the Jews that had experienced Christ somehow, somewhere else, and brought it back to Rome. They, were, they had a Jewish background and a, and a Jewish outlook on life. And then there was the Gentile believers, the ones that had been converted to Christianity through, through someone else's ministry, and they'd come to believe in Christ, but they had no Jewish background. So these two groups of people were, were together in the life of the church. And so there was always an opportunity to have some, some conflict, to have some challenges. And having come from that, it's easy to see how there could be some comparison and some judgment happening taking place between those different groups of people because they're together, but they've got totally different outlooks on life. I mean, with this as the backdrop, it can, they can look around and see others in their revelry, so to speak, and think, oh, man, well, at least I'm not as bad as they are. Or it must have been easy for the, the Gentile Christians to take a look at the Jews and think, Man, they've got so many rules and they don't live up to them themselves. They must be the most miserable people on the planet. Right? So you've got this clash, this, this interaction between them. So I would say that it's safe to say that when in Rome, it was easy to judge others. When in Rome, it's easy to judge others. And as we dive into the text this morning, I want us to consider that in our city, in our time, when in Halifax, it's easy to judge others. Let's take a moment and pray. God, I thank you for your word, and I just pray that it'll come alive in our hearts today. Lord, speak to me and through me that, God, your people will, will hear something that, that is from you. God, I pray for your anointing on myself, because I know your word's already anointed. Your word's good, God, but help me to, to uh, communicate. And Lord, give us hearts to receive and minds to, to understand and, and the desire to apply your word to our lives this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Peter, Peter, no, Paul. Peter, Paul, Mary. No, different, different group. Uh, yeah. yeah, anyway. <laughs> You're showing your age, Steve. Um, Paul. Paul addresses the idea of comparison and judgment in the church head on. And I want to dive into that. We're going to look at Romans chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 18. We're going to cover a lot of material. We're going to look at three different chapters um, I'm going to try to do it quickly, but comprehensively. And before we do that, I've kind of gave a background, but I want to start with the last two verses that we finished with last week, and I'll just read them, and then we'll jump into to 118. But 116, 
Paul's talking to the church and he says, I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and then the Gentiles. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So that's the gospel, right? We hear that and we're like, yes, praise God. We live by faith. We are righteous in him. But there's more. There's more. And Paul knows it, and he wants the people to know it. Let's pick it up in verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 18. This is the dichotomy of the gospel. You ready? Here we go. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people, people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God has made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Wow. People are without excuse. Paul's saying, like, hey, listen, we can make excuses, but... God's revealed himself. God showed himself in so many ways. He's like, he paints pictures of himself everywhere. God is knowable. God is knowable. Verse 21. And this is where, you know, like, well, maybe people didn't understand. Maybe they just didn't get it, right? Maybe people just missed it. Next verse. Verse 21. Yes, they knew God. If that verse wasn't there, then you've got wiggle room. But it says, yes, they knew God, but they they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Talk about a trade. I mean, that's a losing trade-off right there. It goes on to say that, that God abandoned them to whatever, their, whatever shameful things their hearts desired. Like God said, all right. God says, if that's, if that's the direction you're going, he abandoned them to their hearts desires. It, it, it talks about trading true life for, for, for death, really. The nature... The natural, what God has created to be a certain way, to be unnatural, even in the areas of, of sexuality and just so many different things where it became confused and, and messed up. And then it picks it up in verse 29 and it starts to describe the results of this abandoning, right? When God abandons people to think their own way. Verse 29 says, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. Wow. Quite the list. And, and, and notice the next thing. Like, I'm going to start the next verse, but notice this. It changes to the present tense. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent proud and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. They disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. 
I mean, sin, sin doesn't usually enjoy singing alone. It usually invites other people to join. I mean, pause for a second and let that sink in. It kind of runs counter to this idea that people are basically good. I mean, it's, 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 it's the way it's described there. I don't know about you, but these verses are kind of disturbing to me. I mean, that's in your face. That's, that's challenging. It's like you kind of hear the quiet in the room and everybody's not going, yee-haw, amen. That's serious. But track with me here. It's part of the gospel. And let me explain. To recognize the grace of God is to recognize our brokenness, our sinfulness in light of his righteousness. Paul's making the argument that even if we leave the standard of the Bible out of it with these Gentiles, people have not even lived up to the things that they know are right and wrong based on conscience or general revelation. There's no excuse. We've all sinned. Now, now the Jewish folks were likely thinking, because this was all, I mean, this was obviously, this was pointing at the Gentiles. This was like those, those Gentile people. And they were probably thinking to themselves that, you know, they're, they're nasty people. Like, they're, they're, yes, what would you expect from a Gentile? They don't, they don't know the law. And they might have thought that they were better off. The Jewish Christians might have been sitting back going, ha ha, let them have it. Come on, Paul. Yeah, preach it. Amen, brother. So Paul decides, it's all fair. He says, I'm a, you know, he knows himself to be a, you know, he's a Jew himself. He comes back with this, verse, or chapter 2, verse 1. You may think you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad. You've no excuse. When you say they're wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourselves for you judge others and you do the very same things. We know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderful, kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does it mean nothing to you? Can you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you're stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they've done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality, not immorality, immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves for those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. For the Jew first, and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all those who do good. It's for the Jew first, and for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Wowzers. Talk about leveling the playing field, right? <laughs> well, I was born a Jew. I have an advantage. Or I was born a Gentile. I get it. It's like, now I know God's grace. It's like, I have Paul up here. It's like, Paul just says, whoa, wait a minute. Let's level the playing field here, guys. Let's, let's be real. Let's, let's flatten this out. Let's be realistic. 
he levels the playing field. <clears throat> well, that's great, Pastor Glenn. That's so encouraging. I know I came out on this long weekend for that. Thank you very much. For us here in Halifax now, in the present day, it's not so much a distinction between Jewish and Gentile. That's not the, the, the greater issue amongst us in the life of our church. That's, the, that's really not a factor. I would say it's more a matter of being, I'll say, self-righteous versus blatantly sinful or between being religious or non-religious. But being a religious person or a non-religious person really is, is no advantage. It's like, it, that's not the point that Paul's making. Our, our, our background does not make us righteous. I mean, Paul spends the rest of this chapter going down through and into the next one. Again, comparing the, what the Jewish uh, culture had as an argument and what the Gentile uh, people had as an argument and comparing them back and forth. And there was, it's not of no account, but it wasn't the point. Paul's saying, like, those things, there's a certain value to them, but in the big scheme of things, they are not the answer. In Romans chapter 3, skip down to Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 19, for the sake of time, is like, I would encourage you, read the book of Romans. Like, read it, read it every week now for the next few weeks as we do this. It's, it's, um, it'll help you to get a bigger picture of the things that I'm pulling out. Romans 3.19 says, obviously the law applies to those to whom it was given, the Jews. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful, how sinful we are. Isn't that interesting? I mean, the, the law is good. And Paul goes on to argue that. The point he's making is that the law is good, we're not. There was one person that, that was able to be righteous by obeying the law. Jesus. So that was the only person that's ever got it all right. So, the law, so he proved that the law is right through that. But it also proved that we can't. And so that's, that's where we come from. It's like doing what the law commands. The law simply shows how sinful we are. Does that make sense? It helps to give us that lens, that standard. So here, here's, here's where we stand. Left to our own desires, humanity doesn't make good choices. We're broken and without excuse, and it's obvious if we look at the state of the world we're in right now that that's probably the case. We will never seek healing if we don't acknowledge that we're sick. We, we, we will never seek forgiveness if, if we never acknowledge that, we, that, we've, that we're broken that we've made mistakes that we haven't measured up. We will never seek wholeness if we don't see that we're a mess. Verse 21 of chapter 3. Remember, this is trying to paint a picture of the whole picture. So, so far we're really quiet for good reason. Okay? Verse 21. But now God. <laughs> but now God, okay? But God has shown us a way to be made right with him 
without keeping the requirements of law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true of everyone who believes, no matter who you are. Oh, i got to read that one again. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. When in Halifax, no matter who you are. For everyone, and some people would know this verse. Romans 3.23, for everyone, everyone, your pastor, that person you think has got it all together, for your Uncle George, everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Again, bummer. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. Thank you, Jesus. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. All, all have sinned. Yet all, all are invited Right, that's the, that's the dichotomy. That's the double-edged sword of the gospel. That's why verses 118 down through verses 320, whatever, paint a picture of, wow, we are a mess. Have been for generations. Okay, so that should be both encouraging and discouraging because something, sometimes we think we're too far gone. Sometimes we don't, believe, we, we, you know, we don't feel like we deserve the grace of God. Sometimes we can't re- receive the grace of God. Guess what? None of us deserve the grace of God. And yet through Christ, God chose in his mercy to extend forgiveness to us through his son. Because we couldn't do it ourselves. It's when we recognize that we're guilty that we can find forgiveness. It's when we recognize we're sick that we can find healing. It's when we recognize that we're sinful that we can really be redeemed. Hmm. It's the gospel. That's the message that Paul's not ashamed of. That's the message that flies in the face of everything. Of the, if you can imagine the Greco-Roman culture at the time, you know, well, we think if we're smart enough, we can be gods. And he's saying, no, we're a mess. We need Jesus. No, I want to save myself. He says, have at her. Good luck with that. No, even today was in the same place. Well, I'm basically good. Yeah, on a good day. You could be basically better than somebody else, but... When in Rome, we recognize everyone needs a Savior. When in Halifax, we recognize everyone needs a Savior. And no one is refused who comes by faith. Church, we have to be so, so careful. We have to be so careful in this. We have gotten this wrong so many times. We've got to be so careful. It's so easy to get the idea that we're better than people are different than we are. I'm not saying that we condone sin. Romans makes it quite clear that sin is sin and leads to death. But let's, let's be careful not to write people off because they don't have the same background as us. 
Paul warns the Jewish Christians. He says, since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderful, kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Right? From our standpoint, sometimes we can look from not so much from within, but we can look outside and we can look around our city and we can see people and they're a mess. Or it might be the person sitting next to you. No, don't look at them. And, and we think, you know, we kind of, we get this in this idea. It's like, you know, it's like, well, I'm glad I'm not as bad off as they are. Or, or you, know, the, you know, they got what they deserved or, or any of those things. And we can kind of get this, this spiritual superiority. Well, we've got the gospel. We've got it together. We're good. And it's like, yes, we do have the gospel. And yes, we are blessed. But hey, there's people around us out there that are a mess just like we were or just like we still are. And we can judge them and condemn them because we somehow feel like we've got the right to do that. But really what God's calling us to do is like recognize that we're a mess, they're a mess, let's be a mess together and let's see if we can help each other towards God. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> let's respond to God's kindness by living an obedient life. Let's respond with God's kindness to those that aren't there yet. We've got a city that God wants to transform, and it goes beyond that, I believe. I believe that there, there's a, this place is an epicenter of what God wants to do, that, that there's something about HRM right now where God is doing something in the spirit that, it, that is powerful, but it's meant to be an epicenter, and it's meant to go out from there, and I believe it will. And I'm excited about that. All have sinned, yet... All who call on his name will be saved. I'm going to ask the team to make their way back. Of course, it would be a really a missed opportunity. Having presented the gospel in this way to not consider an opportunity for someone to respond to it. So I tried to paint a bit of a picture of what Paul had to say there. And if you're here today and you've not accepted Jesus as your Savior, I want to encourage you today that just as Paul talked about all have sinned, yet all who call on the name of the Lord can be saved, that that includes you. Like, sometimes people say, well, Christianity is so ex exclusive. Well, no, it's not. It, it's, 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 it will include anyone who will come. Anyone. It's so, like, it's like anyone, any, like, anyone. Like, it's, it's, I can go down through the list, but it's a long list. How many billion is it now? Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The church and or Christians have not always done this well. We've not always presented this well. We are guilty of judging others for the same stuff that we're trying to hide. Forgive us. We get it wrong sometimes. Church is full of hypocrites. What's one more matter? Join us. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. My wife just gave me that look. It's like, there's the line. You just crossed it. Debbie's like, that wasn't in the notes, no. 
we get it wrong sometimes, but God doesn't. His mercy and kindness are towards you today. We're allowed to laugh in church, okay? What, what I'm saying is that if you're here today and, and you, you really consider where you're at, emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, you recognize that, okay, I've looked around and I get it. The world is broken those things that you listed, all those, those vices, that list that, that's, that's just crushing. I've seen that either in my own life or I've seen it in the life of the people around me. I've witnessed it on the streets of Halifax. I've seen it on the screen in the news. And it's like, yeah, okay, I, I see that. And it's like, okay, I'm willing to own that. I'm willing to say, okay, I'm part of the problem, but I would love to be part of the solution. And if that's you here today, then, then, then welcome. You're in good company. It's the testimony of every believer. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. You're in good company. And if you're here this morning and you realize, you know what? Maybe the rantings of that madman made some sense. Maybe he's right. And if if things that I have said didn't make sense, I pray that God's word did. As we read that, that there was something there that's like, okay, if that's what it says. And all it is, is as his mercy and, and grace and kindness reach out to you today, if you would recognize the need of him, confess that you have sinned, fallen short of his glorious standard, and humbly receive his forgiveness. Today, he is faithful to accept you where you are, who you are, in the state that you're in, forgive you, cleanse you, adopt you as his own, and call you his child. What better way to celebrate September 1st, 2019, than saying, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Wow. Just ask everybody to close their eyes for a minute. I'm just going to give you an opportunity to say a prayer together. We're going to pray together. If you're, if you're here and you're a believer, be praying in this moment. But if you're here this morning and you recognize, no, I want to I wanna acknowledge that. I want to take a step. It's a very simple step. It's just a prayer. You're going to talk to God. If you've never talked to God, he's uh, the best listener you've ever met. So if you're here this morning and you'd like to say, yes, count me in on that prayer. Let's pray together. If that's you, could you raise a hand just to, so I can kind of acknowledge that and be able to pray for you? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Yeah. Can we all pray this prayer together just as a way to encourage those? And if you raised your hand, just, just join in. You don't have to shout it from the rooftops, but just pray along with us. Um, and this act of, of, of doing that is a way of saying, God, I accept you. So let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your love. I recognize I'm broken and I need you to make me right. I accept that I'm a sinner and I receive your forgiveness. Come into my heart, make me new and set me free today. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you're one of those four or five that did that, that raised your hands, both at Faith Next and in the back of some of the seats here with you, there's a, a blue card, I believe. Somebody that's got one in front of you, help me. Um, orange, nope. Follow Jesus, it's a blue card. Yes, I got it right. Blue card. If, you, if you'd fill that out, we will help you as much as we can, as you'll let us. Um, it's just a matter of us being able to follow up with you and pray with you and encourage you. And if you could either, it's, it's, it's in your seat back, but it's also, we have a bunch of them at Faith Next. We just want to touch base with you and be able to pray with you and just help you on that journey because it's a journey we want to do together. You never attend, intended to do it alone.